Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Georgia incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock has defeated Republican challenger Herschel Walker in a runoff. Georgia's Secretary of State's office says the number of voters on Election Day broke the previous record high for turnout. From member station WABE in Atlanta, Alex Helmick reports more than 1.6 million people voted. The Secretary of State's office says that number beat those on Election Day last month, the 2021 runoff in the state, and even Election Day in 2020 for the presidential race. If you add in early voting, that's about 1.9 million people, you get more than 3.5 million people in total casting ballots for just the one race. That total is less than the runoff in 2021. But in that race, there were two U.S. Senate seats up, along with majority control in the entire chamber. This latest runoff now gives Democrats a 51 to 49 majority in the U.S. Senate. For NPR News, I'm Alex Helmick in Atlanta. The House panel investigating the attack on the U.S. Capitol is likely to make criminal referrals to the Justice Department. The panel's chair, Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson, says the bipartisan panel has not decided who will be named or how many criminal referrals there will be. More than 35,000 electricity customers still don't have power in central North Carolina. They were thrown into the dark last Saturday when saboteurs fired on two power substations. Duke Energy spokesman Jeff Brooks says the utility company thinks it can restore power to many people tonight. You will see waves of customers coming on a few thousand at a time so that we can safely restore power to the grid uh, as we we work to get everyone back on. He spoke to WTVD-TV. No suspects have been arrested in the incident. Officials say it was a deliberate attack. A contractor that supplies workers for slaughterhouses has agreed to improve its hiring practices. A federal investigation alleges the company improperly hired dozens of teenagers for overnight cleaning shifts. Minnesota Public Radio's Matt Sepik prepared this report. The Labor Department alleges in a lawsuit that at least 50 miners aged 13 to 17 worked as slaughterhouse cleaners at five plants in three states. Just ahead of a court hearing, Wisconsin-based Packers Sanitation, known as PSSI, agreed to, quote, review and enhance its existing policies on child labor law. PSSI is not required to pay any fines, but federal officials say their investigation is still underway and could result in financial penalties. In a statement, PSSI says it has a zero-tolerance policy for child labor and, quote, fully shares the Labor Department's objective of ensuring that policy is followed. For NPR News, I'm Matt Sepik in Minneapolis. On Wall Street in pre-market trading, stock futures are lower. This is NPR. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. Governor-elect Maura Healey and Boston Mayor Michelle Wu are promising to work together in the new year. The two met yesterday for the first time since Healey won the election. More now from WBUR's Steve Brown. Healey and Wu didn't elaborate on the specifics of what they discussed during their closed-door meeting. Healey said the state and Boston are confronting many of the same issues. Wu listed several areas of mutual interest. We talked a little bit about the pressing needs for city and and statewide around housing and transportation, uh, the opportunity and the possibilities ahead of us with climate action that I know the governor is really excited to, to lean in on as well. As for dealing with the problem of substance use disorder in the area known as Mass and Cass, Healy said it's a subject of ongoing discussion. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Steve Brown. 
The Quincy man accused in a road rage incident that's being investigated as a potential hate crime is due back in court today. Police say 77-year-old John Sullivan told an Asian family to, quote, go back to China. They say he then hit a member of that family with his car. Sullivan pleaded not guilty last week on charges related to assault. He's being held without bail. The Medford Teachers Union and the city will sit down for another round of contract negotiations today. The Medford Teachers Association issued a vote of no confidence this week in the mayor and the school committee. The union says that's because months of talks have yielded no results in reaching a new contract. The school committee says a deal was reached on a contract back in October, but the union has failed to vote on it. Lowell City officials say it may take up to a month for residents forced out by a water main break there to move back into their homes. They say supply chain issues are delaying repairs. Dozens of people were forced out of a public housing complex when the flood damaged its electrical system last month. The city has given those people temporary housing. It's 7.06. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Cambridge Trust, a private bank offering a full suite of custom financial solutions tailored to its clients. Their team provides private banking, wealth management, and commercial and innovation banking designed to power any ambition. You can visit their offices or connect online at cambridgetrust.com slash way to wealth. The Bruins begin a three-game Western road trip tonight as they visit the Colorado Avalanche. The Celtics are also headed west. They'll visit the Phoenix Suns tonight. Showers throughout the day today. It could get foggy this afternoon. The high will be in the mid-50s. Rain ends overnight. It'll be mostly cloudy and in the 40s. Sunny tomorrow and in the 50s. It's 52 degrees in Boston at 7.07. WBUR supporters include DuckDuckGo, a company committed to making privacy online simple. DuckDuckGo's app includes a private search engine, web browser, and email protection with one download. More at DuckDuckGo.com. I'm Daryl C. Murphy. WBUR's independent journalism is essential to our democracy. Listener support is what keeps WBUR independent. It's the largest share of our funding. As you make tax-deductible year-end contributions to organizations that make a positive difference in your life and in our communities, put WBUR on your list. Give now at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. If you just got up and you turned on the radio, you turn to WBUR, you're one of our listeners. You come to us every day, and maybe you're looking for news on what happened in the Georgia elections. Maybe you're looking on the latest uh, for Ukraine. This is where you turn every morning, and we're coming back to you right now at our year-end fundraiser, the last day of our year-end fundraiser, saying we need your help because we have to make the total amount of $800,000 as fundraiser, and we are not where we need to be. If this is the time of year when you think about tax-deductible contributions, we need you to think about WBUR. The fundraiser ends tonight. We don't have much time. We need to tell you that the ask at this point is very, very urgent. We need your help. So please give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering. Good morning, Rupa. Today is the day we are behind 
on our end-of-year fundraiser. Today is the last day. We will not extend it. If you haven't called yet, now is the moment. I was at a <clears throat> bar on Saturday night <laughs> watching the Big Ten Championship, and there was a guy who said, I listen, should I give? Hmm. The answer is yes. If you can give, today is the day, especially because we know you value what WBUR brings to the entire community, and there's those who can't today. It's a tough economy. We understand that. But if you can do $10, $15, $20 a month, if you can do a one-time gift um, of that or a higher amount, anything you can do, you have no idea the difference it makes for us today, and now is the moment. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. This is Laura Dern. If there is a world on the other side of a wall somewhere where artists run free and journalists share a point of view to educate us into alternative opinion and voice, and it's used beautifully, and there's opera and Sesame Street and National Public Radio, I want to be on that side of the wall. So thank you, National Public Radio. I pray that you're supported forever. We need you. It's how I get my news. It's how I get to know about human behavior. It's how I, thanks to people like Terry Gross, learn about film and invention. And I care deeply about it. And I never, ever want anyone to feel anxiety about losing voice in our uh, beautiful democracy. And there are so many important examples of that this morning, this hour. We're going to talk about the Trump organization being found guilty. We're going to talk about possible criminal prosecutions from the January 6th committee, the legacy of that committee, and then a Supreme Court case about how much control state legislators have about how federal elections are run. I mean, all of these are crucial yeah. to how government works. And I'm, I know you want to know the latest about that because you know that what you do as a citizen, the actions you take have an impact and you want those impacts to be informed. That's what you turn to WBUR for. And we always are there giving you the latest the most factual, the most complete contextual information. It is our responsibility to keep you informed as a citizen. It is our responsibility to tell you what is going on in your community so that you can be part of your community and react to what's happening there. That is a crucial service. You don't get this easily anywhere else. We come to you so many different ways. We are in our end-of-year fundraiser, and we need you to step up. It's our last day. We need more funders to help us make up this difference and you know, make the money we need to bring you the same services or more services next year because you get a great value for your money here. Okay, so it, go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm so glad you mentioned the stakes. Uh, we need to stay strong. One of our listeners uh, who gave during this fundraiser said, in part, I switched to WBUR because you present information without silly shticks, grading voices, or goofing around in between the essential news I need to make solid decisions as a U.S. citizen. Mm -hmm. Keep us strong to give you the essential news you need to make solid decisions. Today is the day we are behind. We're asking you now. You're the largest source of our funding. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. It's quick. Do it now. And thank you.
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by New England Innovation Academy, preparing students through innovation, entrepreneurship, and human-centered design. Tour Day this Saturday, neiacademy.org. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Rachel Martin. And I'm Steve Inskeep. Georgia voters kept their senator last night. Democrat Raphael Warnock defeated Republican Herschel Walker. Now, when you think about this race, think 51-49. 51% to 49% is roughly the vote in that runoff election. And 51 to 49 will now be the divide in the Senate. Democrats will control one more seat than they did before the midterm elections. This is a blow to Donald Trump's Republican Party. Walker is the latest of many Trump-endorsed candidates to lose a high-profile race. The former president also lost in court yesterday, or at least his company did. A New York jury found the Trump organization guilty of schemes to avoid paying taxes. NPR's Andrea Bernstein has been covering this trial. Andrea, good morning. Good morning. Was there any doubt about this verdict? There was. So last summer, Trump's former chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, pleaded guilty to 15 felonies for this persistent pattern of fraud. But the question was, was the Trump corporation legally liable? What the jury had to decide was whether Weisselberg committed his crimes, quote, in behalf of the company. All through the trial, Trump's lawyers argued that Weisselberg did it for Weisselberg. They kept repeating that. Mm. After a day and a half of deliberation yesterday afternoon, the jury sent out a note. It had reached a verdict. The four women stood up. The judge's clerk asked, what say you? And there it was. Guilty of scheme to defraud. Guilty of conspiracy. Guilty of criminal tax fraud in the first degree. Guilty of falsifying business records. 17 counts in all. Okay, falsify business records. That's the heart of this. What does that mean in this case, though? This was a long-running scheme to pay high-level employees not only paychecks, but also with untaxed items like Mercedes-Benzes and high-end electronics. Donald Trump personally signed a lease for Weisselberg's luxury apartment, but the company's rent payments were hidden from the IRS. Donald Trump also personally signed checks for Weisselberg's grandchildren's private school tuition, which were then, quote, backed out of Weisselberg's paycheck. Hmm. That saved Weisselberg tax payments, and it saved the company. This scheme of the Trump company lying and cheating the government lasted through 2018, when Trump himself oversaw the U.S. Treasury. Okay, so this continued for a while. The former president is connected to it, but it's a conviction for the company. What are the consequences for the company? The fine could be up to $1.6 million, although Trump's lawyers say they will appeal. Trump personally was not charged, and no one other than Weisselberg is going to jail as part of his plea. The Trump company could have business consequences, but the effect of this conviction is more what it says about Trump. His eponymous company committed crimes. Nothing like that has happened in American history. Trump issued a statement yesterday that showed he was watching the case closely, and he said, New York is a hard place to be Trump, with the word Trump in quotes. And I suppose his legal troubles are not really over. The Manhattan DA says he's still investigating Trump for other crimes. Meanwhile, the New York attorney general has charged Trump in a civil case. That's for another long-running fraud scheme, this one about overvaluing or undervaluing assets to, again, cheat tax authorities. The New York AG is asking for $250 million and for Donald, Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric Trump to be barred from doing business in New York State. NPR's Andrea Bernstein, thanks. Thank you. 
We turn now to what could be yet another legal morass for former President Trump. The House Select January 6th committee says they will issue criminal referrals, but they're not yet going to reveal names. Here's the panel's chair, Benny Thompson. We have not made a decision as to who, uh, but we have made decisions that criminal referrals will happen. Although top figures, including former President Trump, are still on the table. NPR congressional correspondent Claudia Grisales is with us. Hey, Claudia. Good morning, Rachel. What authority does the January 6th committee have to do this to make these criminal referrals? Well, Congress does have the authority to issue criminal referrals. They cannot issue criminal charges. So this is the closest they can come to that. And it basically comes in the form of a letter to the Justice Department, perhaps signed by Thompson, for example. And the letter would name certain individuals and the charges uh, that the panel said these individuals could face if the Justice Department were to mount a prosecution. And as we know, this is an update from the last hearing the panel had. Thompson at that time and other members said they had sufficient information to consider criminal referrals and recommend um, a range of legislative proposals. And so in terms of these referrals themselves, this is an update. Thompson said they could issue decisions on this as early as this week. It's all very fluid. And they had a lengthy meeting last night to hash out these plans with more meetings planned to come this week. What evidence or information do they have that they can send to the Justice Department to back up the referral? They could share their own investigative findings, some they've already shared earlier this this year, and they've said they're going to share new information. This could be part of that. And also the panel hinted at their plans of this referral um, through a court battle earlier this year with one of Trump's allies. This was lawyer John Eastman. And in filings during that case, the panel alleged Trump engaged in conspiracy to defraud the United States and obstructing an official congressional proceeding. Besides Trump, who else could be named in a criminal referral? Well, one unresolved issue the panel has to consider now is what to do about the House Republicans and others who defied their subpoenas. Some witnesses have faced criminal referrals for this. We saw Steve Bannon, for example, prosecuted for related charges, but it's also possible that the panel does not take action on these Republicans, which includes GOP leader Kevin McCarthy. One other major area of consideration is whether they'll pursue additional action against attorneys who played a role in attempting to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Thompson told me they could look into actions that would have these lawyers disbarred and lose their licenses. The panel is also up against a clock here, right, when it comes to their report? Right, exactly. Thompson also said that they're not pens down on this report. It would be pretty lengthy. And this is in addition to the transcripts that they plan to release tied to more than 1,000 witnesses who were interviewed. And that's also expected to include new evidence we haven't heard before. So far, Thompson tells us it's eight chapters, but they're still sorting through drafts, deciding what to add, what to delete as they go. And he did tell reporters yesterday that they will, quote, have a lot of Christmas reading to do. NPR's Claudia Grisales, thank you. Thank you much. Congressman Adam Schiff joins us once again. He made the case against then-President Donald Trump in his first impeachment, and he is part of the January 6th committee, now examining those potential criminal referrals. Congressman, welcome back. Thank you. Great to be with you. Okay, we just heard about possible criminal referrals for people who refused to cooperate. So I understand that. Could you possibly also refer people for specific crimes on or about January 6th? 
Uh, we certainly could, and, and this is what we're discussing as we go into the last uh, days of our work on this important investigation, and that is what would the impact of our referrals be uh, if we make referrals against whom and for what offenses? Uh, how much should we detail the evidence knowing that the Justice Department has sources of evidence that we don't, that it was able to enforce certain subpoenas and compel testimony uh, that we have not been able to. So in some ways, I think the information we provide will exceed that of the department. In other areas, they have more evidence than we do. Isn't this ultimately a political as well as a legal decision, by which I mean you have to decide not only do we think that this is a criminal act, but also does it benefit the country in some way to call for this prosecution? Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, there's no requirement that, a, that Congress, even when it finds evidence of criminality, make referrals. But there is a long practice of Congress doing that. Now, generally, those referrals involve crimes against the institution of the Congress. So people who are refusing to testify or people who commit perjury when they testify. But here you have the ultimate crime against Congress, and that was a violent attack on the Congress doing its work to certify a presidential election. Uh, so uh, it, it's consistent with what we've done in the past if we go forward. At the same time, it's a, a whole new level of seriousness in terms of what we'd be referring. What is an example of something that you learned that looks like it might be a crime, that could be a subject of one of these referrals, but has not already been prosecuted by the Justice Department? What's something that's out there? Well, you know, I can't go into the particulars of what we may refer, but just looking, for example, at what Judge Carter in California had to say, uh, he was looking at a small sample of the overall body of evidence, uh, and he concluded in his review, and again, his review was to determine whether uh, John Eastman, one of the lawyers working with President Trump, had to turn over material mm -hmm. uh, or whether it was covered by the attorney-client privilege, uh, and in this case, in particular, whether the crime-fraud exception applied. And he concluded that President Trump uh, and others were likely engaged in a criminal conspiracy to obstruct the Congress in its work. So there you have a federal jurist who's making that determination. Obviously, those are facts that we weigh along with a body of evidence that was not available to the judge. Granting that you haven't decided what referrals to make, granting that uh, this is a political as well as a strictly legal decision, you have to decide what makes sense for the country. When you look at the evidence as a former prosecutor, do you believe that Donald Trump committed specific prosecutable crimes on January 6th and beforehand, a criminal conspiracy or something else? Yes, I do. And, uh, you know, I, I think that illustration I gave, that example I gave is just one instance, uh, one particular offense uh, that I think the facts support a, uh, a potential charge against the former president. And, you know, the Justice Department, in my view, needs to hold you know, everyone equally responsible before the law, and that includes former presidents when they engage in criminality. What happens to your body of evidence when Republicans become the majority, Republicans are in control, and it seems this committee will go out of business? Well, we intend to make our evidence public uh, and in that way uh, make sure that it's accessible to everyone, to the Justice Department, uh, so that uh, when the Republicans take over, they can't cherry pick certain evidence and mislead the country with some false narrative. So we want to put the evidence out there, and that's uh, what we intend to do. Adam Schiff of California, it's a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Great to talk with you. This is NPR News.
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Lyric Stage, presenting The Play That Goes Wrong, part Monty Python, part Sherlock Holmes, all mayhem, now through December 18th. Tickets at lyricstage.com. AL Prime Energy Consultant, providing wholesale and retail fuel products located in more than 60 communities in and around greater Boston. ALPrime.com. And William James College's online graduate certificate in school leadership, a principal prep program, a Apply now for January at williamjames.edu. An update now on our end-of-the-year fundraiser. As you listen to Morning Edition, the fundraiser ends tonight, and we are considerably behind. We are asking you to give now to help us get caught up before the fundraiser ends at 7 o'clock. Thank you so much if you've already given. We really appreciate it. If you haven't, this is the time we need you. We're trying to send a serious message that this is urgent for us, and we need your help. We know times are tough for a lot of people, but if you can give... Think about how vital WBUR is as a public service to the community. Stop assuming that someone else will take care of it. We're asking you to take care of it yourself. I'm Rupa Shinoy here with Tiziana Deering, and usually when Tiziana Deering is here, we're very excited and happy (laughs) just to be hanging out. But today we're going to sound a little bit grave because we need to get this done. Yeah, make no mistake, I'm happy to be here with you. (laughs) And yet, um, this is the moment. We are running out of time. This thing ends tonight. This fundraiser ends tonight, whether we hit the $800,000 goal we have, which is roughly the same amount we raised last year, or we don't. And right now, we're not on track. And we're asking you to help us close that gap. 1-800-909-9287 is the number. The website, wbur.org. Stop and think about how important this service is to you. You've got a lot going on this morning, but we're part of it. You're listening to us now because of how heavily you rely on us. So take a moment, think about the stakes, make whatever gift you can, and it will make a difference. You know, at the start of this fundraiser, you talked with Margaret Lowe, our CEO, Rupa, and one of the things she told you about was in answer to your question, what might not people know about that they should? It's important to say that the largest portion of our funding does come from listeners and people who rely on WBUR, and that can be $5 a month, and it can be $5,000 a year, and it can be $50,000 a year. Every little bit really makes a pretty gigantic difference. I also asked her about some of the the stories that have made a difference to her and a difference to uh, many of our listeners. There are so many examples of that. Just this week, we had a Yasmeen Ammer story about the lack of care workers for disabled people. We had a story from Barbara Moran about the degrading water quality on Cape Cod. We have national stories and international stories on the developing situation in Iran nationally. We have the January 6th committee and the latest on the verdict with the Trump organization, and then also the Georgia News. There's so much you need to know about right now. We know that's hard, and we are here to help you be informed with accurate information. So think about what you learn every time you listen to WBUR and how that educates you and thousands of others in our community. Show that you value this service and it's important to you by giving now at WBUR.org or call one 800 909 9287. I'll just throw out some numbers $10, $20 a month, $500, $1,000, whatever you can do, we will be grateful for. Your tax deductible gift will become more of the journalism you rely on to bring you on 
you rely on every single morning as you come to us. Contributions from our listeners add up to WBUR's largest funding source. And listener support gives WBUR editorial independence. So help us make up this difference. We are behind. We need to urgently ask for your help to get back where we need to be. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm so glad, Rupa, that you mentioned all of those stories because what they underscore is the stakes. All the news and information... (laughs) It is a complicated life. It is a complicated world. I understand other places have even more complicated lives and worlds, but we bring all of that to you. And again, I know you're listening. I know you care. I know we're a part of your day. And I know sometimes it's easy to think somebody else will do it. Mm -hmm. But in this tough economy, not everybody can. And so those who can, you If you can, today is the day. This is the moment. We're running out of time. We are significantly behind on this end-of-year fundraiser. It ends tonight no matter what. One of our listeners who gave during this fundraiser said, I listen to WBUR daily and understand that not everyone is able to give today due to financial reasons. I am able to give today, so I wanted to step up. If you are able to give today, I am asking you, please step up. It's important, and any contribution you give, you have no idea the difference it makes to us. The phone number is 1-800-909-9287. The website, WBUR.org. And thank you so much. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Focus Features presenting Spoiler Alert, starring Jim Parsons, Ben Aldridge, and Sally Field. Based on the memoir, his life story became a love story. Directed by Michael Showalter. In select theaters, everywhere Friday. And from Fisher Investments. Fisher Investments' team of specialists offer guidance on investing, retirement income, and social security. FisherInvestments.com. Investments and securities involve the risk of loss. And from CrowdStrike, whose cybersecurity platform is designed to protect organizations by monitoring trillions of cyber events to detect threats and prevent breaches before they happen. CrowdStrike, protection that powers you. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Senate Democrats will have a 51-49 advantage in the next Congress. Democratic incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia defeated Republican Herschel Walker in their Senate runoff. Walker conceded last night, saying he wouldn't make excuses. Warnock told supporters the people have spoken. Gabriel Sterling is with the Georgia Secretary of State's office. We had record turnout across the board. We had record turnout for a runoff in a midterm. We had record turnout of early voting. We had record use of absentee ballots. Republicans will control the House beginning in January. Jurors in New York have convicted former President Donald Trump's company on all charges in a long-running tax fraud scheme. Trump's family business and a payroll company, also controlled by Trump, were found guilty on a combined 17 counts of criminal tax fraud and falsifying business records. NPR's Andrea Bernstein has been following the trial. Last summer, former Trump chief financial officer Alan Weisselberg pleaded guilty to 15 felonies for a persistent pattern of fraud. But the Trump entities chose not to. And what the jury had to decide was whether Weisselberg committed his crimes in behalf of the company. All through the trial, Trump's lawyers argued that Weisselberg did it for Weisselberg. Trump himself was not charged. This is NPR News. 
From WBOR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. Boston-area immigration groups are cheering the Biden administration's move to extend temporary protected status to Haitian migrants. The White House will extend TPS until August 2024. That comes as Haiti suffers from ongoing gang violence, a cholera outbreak, and recent earthquakes. Massachusetts is home to the third largest Haitian community in the U.S. Elizabeth Sweet is executive director of the Massachusetts Immigrant and Refugee Advocacy Coalition. This expansion of TPS will really be felt here in Massachusetts. Hundreds, if not thousands, of Haitian migrants in Boston and around Massachusetts will be able to live a little bit easier due to this decision. Local immigration organizations are planning to spread the word about the process for Haitians to apply for TPS. Licensed marijuana growers in Massachusetts can now use certain pesticides on their crops. The Massachusetts Department of Agricultural Resources is allowing commercial growers to use mostly natural chemicals. Those are commonly used on tobacco and hemp. Growers say the change will help produce a better crop and reduce the cost of pot. Public schools in Quincy will add lessons about the Massachusetts tribe to their curriculum. It's one of several steps the mayor of Quincy is making to improve relations with the tribe, which called the area home before colonization. The Patriot Ledger reports the tribe will also be allowed to use a city-owned building as a cultural center. It's 734. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Plymouth Rock Assurance, who believes auto and home insurance should be straightforward and works to assure their customers at every step. More at PlymouthRock.com. The Celtics begin a week-long road trip tonight as they visit the Phoenix Suns. The Bruins will be in Denver tonight to skate with the Colorado Avalanche. And in your forecast, rainy and windy today with some patchy fog. It'll be in the mid-50s. Thunderstorms might move in tonight. Temperatures will fall to the 40s, but tomorrow it will be sunny and in the low 50s. And it'll stay sunny on Friday, although it will fall to the low 40s. Right now it's 52 degrees in Boston at 734. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Little Passports, designed to help children discover the world with hands-on activity kits delivered monthly for ages 3 and up. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash NPR. And from your part-time controller, specializing in nonprofit accounting, your part-time controller helps nonprofit organizations with their accounting needs remotely or in person. More at yourparttimecontroller.com. This is NPR. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Rachel Martin. Argentina's vice president has been convicted of corruption, sentenced to six years in prison and barred for life from holding political office. Prosecutors say Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner embezzled hundreds of millions of dollars in state funds. She denies any wrongdoing and insists she is being persecuted because of her populist politics. NPR's Carrie Kahn reports. Supporters of Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner chanting Presidenta gathered in front of the federal courthouse in Buenos Aires. They posted on social media their support for the embattled vice president. Prosecutors say that when Kirchner was president from 2007 to 2015, she ran a criminal organization that built nearly a billion dollars from the government. After a three-year-long trial, yesterday the judges finally gave their verdict. Condenar a Cristina Elizabeth Fernández de Kirchner 
a la pena de seis años de prisión. Condemned to six years in prison for fraud. Prosecutors had asked for 12, but she was cleared of running the embezzlement scheme. This is the first time a sitting vice president has been convicted of a crime. Señora, señores, este juicio terminó. And with that, the judge concluded the trial. Immediately after, a defiant Kirshner took to social media. For more than an hour, she railed against what she said was a judicial mafia and a corrupt media bent on wiping out her popular politics from Argentina. Por eso, por eso. That's why they moved to bar me from office, she said. Kirshner has been in Argentine politics for three decades and long been a polarizing figure, portraying herself as a champion of the poor and a victim of right-wing forces in the country. But many, like 28-year-old Agustin Carvalho, blame her for the country's continual economic crises. By year's end, inflation is expected to hit 100%. Six years is little for what she has done, says Carvalho, as he stopped to buy a soft drink at a corner stand in one of Buenos Aires' wealthier neighborhoods. He says at least it's a start and hopes she goes to jail for longer. That's unlikely in the short term, says Geraldina Dana, a political scientist at the University of Buenos Aires. While she holds office, Kirshner has immunity. And also, this is not a final judgment. She would still have resource to go to the Supreme Court, and she could even run as candidate next year that we have presidential elections. While in the past, Kirshner has hinted at another run for president, yesterday she said she would not seek office again. She is facing more corruption charges, though, including a money laundering case that implicates her son and daughter, too. Daniel Kerner, an analyst with the political risk Eurasia Group, says Argentines need to focus on fixing the economy instead of fighting over Kirchner's court cases. Developments like this just makes it harder for the political elite and the political class to come together to some sort of arrangement to solve Argentina's problems that are very, very deep. Kirshner says she will continue to fight on. Her supporters, like Natalia Varela, who came to the courthouse yesterday, say they will too. She says the court didn't just condemn Kirchner, it condemned all of us in Argentina who want a country for everyone, not just for a privileged few. Carrie Kahn, NPR News. How do we fix humanity's broken relationship with nature? That's the question that delegates from around the world are trying to answer this week at the United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity. It kicked off in Montreal, Canada, and NPR's Nathan Rott joins us to talk about what's at stake. Hey, Nate. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Let's just take that central question right off the bat. Is that really how scientists see this, that we have a broken relationship with nature? Well, if you believe the head of the UN, yeah, scientists from around the world and David Attenborough, then yes, I think it is fair to say that the answer to that is yes. You know, a million species are at risk of extinction globally, many within decades because of human actions. Uh, we're dealing with a global pandemic, the type of which scientists say are more likely to occur the more damage is done to nature. Uh, and obviously the threat of climate change, which is very related to biodiversity, is almost unfathomably huge. Right. So what do people in this biodiversity space want to see happen from this convention? 
Yeah, so the people I've talked to said that they want to see an almost Paris climate agreement level commitment from the countries at this convention. You know, remember the Paris climate agreement included pledges from all of its members to cut climate warming emissions. It remains, you know, the foundation of the world's fight against climate change. Conservationists and scientists want to see the same kind of ambitious pledges established for biodiversity. Uh, I talked to Rebecca Shaw, the chief scientist at the World Wildlife Fund, about this yesterday, and she says the reason steps are being taken to address climate change is because we are already living with its effects. It's because the impacts have become unbearable globally. Like, you can't ignore it anymore. We're there on the nature side. It's the, the nature loss and its implications expresses itself community by community around the globe. But she says those cumulative losses are just as great as what we're seeing in terms of climate impacts and the livability of the planet. So what would a Paris Agreement for Nature look like? So the draft framework they've laid out, generally speaking, would aim to protect ecosystems that are still intact and restore the ones that are not. That's, you know, the broadest way of putting it. Part of that pledge is to protect 30% of the planet's land and water by the year 2030. Uh, this is something that the Biden administration is already doing here in the U.S., uh, but it's also a plan that's raised some concerns from indigenous people that land could be taken from them in the name of conservation, uh, similar to what happened with Native Americans with the creation of national parks here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I talked to Viviana Figueroa, an indigenous Argentine who's taking part in the negotiations about this yesterday, and she says there needs to be a recognition of indigenous people's roles in conservation and protections of indigenous lands. There is a lot of evidence that shows that the traditional lands and territories managed by indigenous people are the most important areas that conserve biodiversity. So that statement is backed up by science, and there has been a big push by the United Nations in recent years to do a better job of taking indigenous perspectives into account when it comes to these issues. Uh, but this is a negotiation. And as we saw at the climate conference in Egypt last month, these big conventions rarely end with everyone getting what they want. And Piers Nathan Rott, thank you. Yeah, thank you. This. As you listen to Morning Edition, we want to update you on the effort to keep Morning Edition coming to you on WBUR. If this is where you listen in the morning, maybe if you hum along to the Morning Edition theme every morning, think about how having that connection through WBUR every morning adds to your life. Put a value on that and hold yourself responsible for paying that value. Help WBUR out now. This is the last day of our fundraiser. It ends tonight. We are behind. We need your help to catch up. We need you to stop and listen and act. WBUR can't bring you everything you depend on from us without help from you especially right now. So please give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Rupa Shinoy here with Radio Boston's Tiziana Deering. Maybe you, if you know this voice, you should give. Well, and if you're like me, and when Rupa said you hum along to the morning edition song, all of a sudden, 
all the WBUR and NPR songs crashed in your head at once. <laughs> and you're like, wait, which one's ATC? Which one's Morning Edition? Which one's On Point? Because mm-hmm. you listen to them all. Now is the time. We are, boy, it's a moment, folks. Today is the last day of the fundraiser. At the end of the year, we are significantly behind. This thing ends tonight, whether we hit that $800,000 mark or not. We need you to help us get back on track. It's early in the morning. You're busy. You are making us part of that morning. And it's because you care, because you rely on us. So now is the time to pick up your cell phone. If you've got a smartphone, WBUR.org takes about two minutes. Or if you prefer to talk to a human, there are some lovely ones (laughs) ready to take your call at 1-800-909-9288. Seven. The key thing is don't wait. We need you. Do it now. Wow, T.C. Hanna's pounding on the table. She. I usually have to tell people not to do that because you can hear that on the radio. But at this point, I softly. <laughs> I think we have some comments from Meghna Chakrabarty kind of emphasizing this point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Threats to democracy make an informed public critical to America's future. WBUR will always be free thanks to listeners who give voluntarily. Give monthly to give real journalism a strong future. Here's how. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And I'm going to deliver our message again because this is a serious message. We are behind. If you are listening, you are listening to a call for help. Things are looking grave over here. WBUR, a pillar of your community built by you, is at risk, and we need your help. If you haven't already given, think about doing that now. We know you all can't give you know, a ton of money, but whatever you can give will help us out. $10 a month, $20 a month, a 500, a thousand, whatever it is, we're grateful. It's the home stretch of our fundraiser, the last fundraiser of the year. If you are making your year on contributions, WBUR is there for you every day. One listener said, WBUR is my go-to source for everything that matters in my life, everything that keeps me well-informed and up-to-date about health, politics, all of the arts, education, world events, and especially honesty and truth. I need you to be there for us every day. So we're asking you if you've never given money to WBUR, consider making your first contribution today. Now is the moment to join. If you're a longtime lurker, come out into the open and be part of your community. Be responsible for this important public service. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Another one of our listeners who gave during this fundraising campaign said, I rely on WBUR NPR as the true source of news and a good, trustworthy friend. I was so glad to see that. That's who we aim to be for you, a good source of news and a trustworthy worthy friend. Think of the stakes of this moment. Think of the stories on the news today about the Supreme Court, about the conviction of the Trump Organization, about the January 6th hearing panel, about everything that will come to you today, whether it's about energy efficiency Mm -hmm. or cost of living or what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. The stakes are high. We want to be your quality source of news and information and a good, trustworthy friend. And in that relationship, We are asking you to support us today. The fundraiser ends tonight. Whether we hit the number or not, the news will be on tomorrow. 
but we need to hit that number. So we are asking you do it now at the start of your day. 1-800-909-9287 is the phone number for whatever you can do. The website is wbur.org. Thank you. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the ICA. Discover how Jean-Michel Basquiat, Paul Clay, and many other artists have been inspired by childhood in To Begin Again, icaboston.org. German International School Boston. Visit their traditional German holiday market and open house on December 10th. Learn more at gisbos.org. And Direct Tire and Auto Service. Proud to support WBUR and public radio. To help keep quality programming alive, directtire.com. Now, in business news, Cambridge-based Moderna is facing a counter-lawsuit from Pfizer over patent rights for its COVID-19 vaccines. Moderna first sued Pfizer in August. It claims the company violated patents for vaccine-related innovations it created before the pandemic. Pfizer's countersuit argues its vaccines are the result of independent research and says Moderna's patents are not valid. Northboro-based Bertucci's is filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The Italian restaurant chain says it can't keep up with rising food and labor costs. It also says sales are still below pre-pandemic levels. This is the second time Bertucci's has filed for bankruptcy in four years. It's 749. Funding for WBUR's business report comes from Cambridge Trust, a private bank offering a full suite of custom financial solutions tailored to its clients. Their team provides private banking, wealth management, and commercial and innovation banking designed to power any ambition. You can visit their offices or connect online at cambridgetrust.com slash way to wealth. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Rachel Martin. And I'm Steve Inskeep. The nationwide shortage of nursing home staff also means a shortage of care. Nursing homes cannot take on as many residents. And that means many people who should be moving into nursing homes instead spend more time stuck in hospitals. Vermont Public's Nina Keck reports. Kathy Dick is a retired nurse who lives in Sudbury, Vermont. She remembers when she first began to worry about a close friend. She was taking a couple of us out for lunch, and she couldn't figure out how to pay the bill. Her friend was in her mid-70s, had no children, and lived alone. Signs of dementia became more frequent, and Dick worried because her friend also had diabetes and hypertension. And it became obvious to me that she was not functioning well and just was deteriorating before my eyes. Her friend ended up in the emergency department multiple times, and long-term care became the only option. But finding an available bed took months. Meanwhile, her friend stayed in the hospital. Kathleen Boyd says this is not a new problem. Boyd directs care management at Rutland Regional Medical Center. This is a growing concern, not just in Vermont, but all over the country, because people are living longer. She says on any given day, they have five to ten patients waiting in the hospital for long-term care. Not all have dementia. Some have serious psychiatric disorders or are impaired because of substance abuse or traumatic brain injury. Some may have been homeless, incarcerated, or violent. Boyd says they come to the emergency department for valid reasons, but once they're stabilized, she says insurance won't pay for their care anymore, and long-term care 
is hard to find. Because the facilities will look at the documentation and they will say, we don't have the staff to be able to monitor and manage this potentially agitated individual. While nursing homes can say no, hospitals can't. Many end up caring for patients like this for weeks, months, sometimes even years. With little to no reimbursement, it's costing hospitals millions and pushing up health care prices for everyone. It's a huge, huge issue. Dr. Stephen Leffler is president of the University of Vermont Medical Center. I was on one of our floors on Friday rounding, and um, more than 40 percent of the patients on one floor were all waiting for nursing home placement. That means fewer beds are available for others needing hospital care. I'm an ER doctor by training. Nothing bothers me more than people who um, their doctor has said, you need to go to the academic medical center. And we've said, yes, you do, but we can't take you right now. Um, for most of my career, that almost never happened. It happens every single day now. And it's happening at hospitals all over the country. More than 30 medical organizations, including the American Medical Association, wrote an impassioned letter to President Biden last month calling the situation a public health emergency. Low wages and workforce shortages exacerbated by the pandemic are at the heart of this problem. Many skilled long-term care facilities have had to hire more costly traveling nurses, straining already tight budgets. That's forced many nursing homes to take beds offline. Medicaid pays for the majority of nursing home patients in the U.S., and a number of states have increased reimbursement rates and provided additional funding. But so far, it's not enough. For NPR News, I'm Nina Keck in Chittenden, Vermont. This is NPR News. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Japaigo, part of Johns Hopkins, and dedicated to saving lives, improving health, and transforming the future of women. Their name is challenging, but so is their work. At jhpiego.org. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Vicks NyQuil Severe, a nighttime cold and flu medication designed to relieve up to nine cold and flu symptoms. More at vicks.com. You're this listening. is NPR. You're listening to Morning Edition on WBUR, and I want to update you on this, the last day of our last fundraiser of the year. We are behind. We're not where we need to be. We need your help. And this is really exciting. For the next five minutes, we have an incredible offer for you to do more with your contribution. We are going to have a, we have a dollar-for-dollar dollar match by members of our Murrow Society who gave their own money to incentivize you to give. So whatever you give right now will help us get caught up toward our goal. It will be matched. Essentially, what you give will be doubled. So the value of what you give will be twice what it usually is. This is an incredible time to help us. We are considerably behind. Again, and this is a really good opportunity to help us get closer to our goal. Please go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. This is Tiziana Deering here in Studio 2 with Rupa Shinoy this morning. 1-800-909-9287 is the number. WBUR.org is the website. The dollar-for-dollar dollar match. Imagine you're paying off your mortgage, and if you wrote the check for your mortgage in the next five minutes, you'd make two payments mm -hmm. instead. If you make a contribution in the next five minutes, you double that value. Small gifts, $10, $15, $20 a month, doubled. 
big gifts. Let's be a stinker. $5,000, $10,000 doubled, yeah. 500 1000 Whatever you can do and is meaningful to you doubles in the next five minutes. And that's essential because this fundraiser ends tonight, whether we hit the mark or not. And right now we are not on track. Yeah. We're trying to raise the same amount we did last year. We didn't go crazy here, folks, but we are behind. And you make up the largest source of our support. So you are the person this morning. I am asking you as someone passionate about what we bring to you every day online, Absolutely. on air, and in person to make that contribution. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. We're going to hear from my counterpart in the evening, Lisa Mullins. This is Lisa Mullins. Support from our listeners does more than pay for WBUR's journalism. Your support makes editorial independence a reality. And it all starts with your gift of $10 or maybe $15 a month. Those ongoing monthly contributions are how we pay for independent journalism. Sustain the journalism that sustains you. Start your monthly contribution at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Thanks. We are behind. We do not have the amount of money that we needed to raise in this fundraiser, and it's going to end tonight. This is our last chance to make the money that we need to bring you what you depend on in the coming year. And think about what you get every day. There's a lot of noise in the media today. WBUR gives you clarity, civility, calm, friendliness. As a country, we're tangling with some of the issues, toughest issues of our lifetime, from climate change to income equality to politics itself. It's like we are at a crucial moment for you to be part of your community and make sure it has these important services like WBUR that it needs. So we can't do it without you, though. We need your help. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. 1-800-909-9287. Worth saying again, as is WBUR.org. These are quick. It does not take long. couple minutes on the web, couple minutes on your phone at 7.58 a.m. But if you do it now. It is matched. Double. Right. It's double your money. And again, that's think a great if deal. you were paying a bill and if you paid it right now, you'd get to pay two bills yeah. instead. Think about if you get direct deposit, seeing that number of your biweekly income on in your bank statement and having it be doubled. And we get to see that from your contribution if you do it right now. It's important to us. Rupa and I are here this morning. You hear us talk all the time. You hear us be playful. You hear us be excited about the day's news. All of that is true. But we're pretty serious right now. It's the end of the year. Today is the last day of the fundraiser. We are not where we need to be. We turn to you in those moments. And you are the person, if you've got the money today, you know there are listeners who don't. But if you do, don't waver. Show your support. Think about the stakes. Think about the stories that you're relying on. Think about... I'm just, I had this crash of all the stories from the January 6th hearings to the Supreme Court mm -hmm. to utility and energy costs mm -hmm. to uh, governmental transitions here in Massachusetts. To all police news misconduct. You need. There you go. Yeah. All the news you need. The wind right? industry. There's, I can keep going. Exactly. And you're our largest source of funding. 1 800 909 9287 to do it now and get the dollar for dollar match. WBUR.org. WBUR.org or call 1 800 909 9287 if you listen and you don't give I'm not going to I'm going to say it's a little bit of freeloading and especially if you're listening right now because we need your help and and we need everyone who listens to step up whatever you can give 
we are grateful for. But if you can give the bigger numbers right now, that will have a major impact because right now we it is being matched. Whatever you give will be doubled for the next minute or so. So act fast. Do what you can for WBUR and do the most you can for WBUR by giving right now when what you give will be doubled for WBUR. That's double your impact. Care about your community institutions. Keep them going. You built us up. Keep us going. You know what we do for your community every single day. Accurate, complete, unbiased information. No local, national, international. I'm I'm overcome by everything. One eight hundred nine zero nine nine two eight seven or wbur.org. You listen. We love you. Today we're asking you to give again. Absolutely. Eight hundred nine zero nine. 9287 or wbur.org. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by LabShares Newton, offering state-of-the-art BL2 labs with a range of services and amenities just outside Cambridge. Learn more at labshares.com. And Moonbox Productions' Tony Award-winning play, Torch Song, now through December 23rd, Boston Center for the Arts, Roberts Theatre. Tickets at bostontheaterscene.org. I'm senior business reporter Yasmin Amr. This is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. The last undecided Senate race of this year's midterm election has been settled. NPR's Giles Snyder says Georgia voters are sending Democrat Raphael Warnock back to Washington. Senator Warnock's narrow victory over Republican challenger Herschel Walker means Democrats will head into the next Congress with more room to maneuver in the Senate. They'll have an outright majority with 51 seats. This victory is Warnock's second runoff win in as many years, and it's another loss for candidates endorsed by former President Donald Trump. NPR's Giles Snyder reporting. The U.S. Supreme Court hears arguments today in a case that could radically reshape the way federal elections are conducted. NPR's Nina Totenberg reports. At issue is the so-called independent state legislature theory, which, if adopted by the Supreme Court, would give state legislatures the power to put in place all manner of election laws and rules without any review by state courts. At its most extreme, the theory could eliminate not just state judicial power over elections, but governors' vetoes. And it might, at least arguably, allow state legislatures to certify presidential electors who were not approved by the voters, an idea that Donald Trump sought unsuccessfully to put forth in 2020. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. More than 35,000 electricity customers are still in the dark in central North Carolina. Utility company Duke Energy says it's working rapidly to repair two substations that were damaged after vandals fired on them last Saturday. Duke Energy hopes to restore power to most people tonight. The FBI is part of the investigation into the attack on the substations. The White House is hosting a roundtable on the rise of anti-Semitism and on fighting hate in the U.S. NPR's Franco Ordonez reports Second Gentleman Doug Emhoff will lead the discussion today with Jewish leaders. The meeting comes after a surge of anti-Jewish comments from prominent people, including the rapper Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, in a dinner between former President Donald Trump, Ye, and Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes. Emhoff is the first Jewish person in his position. 
Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, says he takes the matter personally. He has said himself that he is in pain uh, and that this is something we cannot normalize. President Biden raised his own concerns last week when he called out political leaders on Twitter for not strongly denouncing anti-Semitism. He said silence is complicity. Franco Ordonez, NPR News. Today is Pearl Harbor Day. 81 years ago today, Japan attacked the U.S. military base in Hawaii and the U.S. entered World War II. President Franklin D. Roosevelt declared this a date which will live in infamy. Today in Washington, D.C., observers will lay wreaths at the World War II Memorial. You're listening to NPR News. From WBOR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. Massachusetts's highest court will hear arguments today in a case involving the accuracy of breathalyzer tests in drunk driving cases. As WBUR's Deborah Becker reports, thousands of cases could be affected. The Supreme Judicial Court takes up the case of Lindsay Hallinan, who wants to vacate her 2013 plea to drunk driving charges. Her attorneys argue that after Hallinan admitted that there were sufficient facts to convict her, it was discovered that some of the state's breathalyzers were not properly calibrated. It was also discovered that the state office overseeing the tests withheld documents about the testing shortcomings. The state argues although some testing was determined to be faulty, Hallinan has not proven that her case was specifically affected. Advocates are asking the SJC to dismiss thousands of criminal cases that relied on the same breathalyzer tests. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Deborah Becker. Governor Baker is pushing ahead with plans for emergency migrant services at the old Fort Devens. Even the legislators haven't approved funding. Baker asked for money last month to help provide services for newcomers, but lawmakers on Beacon Hill haven't acted. Baker says he'll use already approved funding for an intake center and to expand an existing shelter. His administration is still hoping lawmakers will approve the funding request. The speed limit in Lowell is going down. City councilors unanimously voted last night to reduce the limit in busy areas to 25 miles per hour. Councilor Wayne Jeunesse says the plan will also include an education campaign from police and other local officials. I think this is a good step for the city to be taking. Um, anything we can do to make our streets safer is a step in the right direction. The education effort, as well as the placement of new signs, will begin as early as today. The date for the speed limit to take effect will be determined by the council at a later meeting. Women are now free to go topless on any public or private beach on Nantucket. The state attorney general's office gave final approval to the gender equality on beaches bylaw yesterday. Nantucket residents approved it during a town meeting in May. It's 8.07. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Bassberry and Sims Healthcare Law Practice, advising academic medical centers and healthcare providers on complex legal matters nationwide. More at bassberry.com. And MathWorks, currently hiring for both technical and non-technical positions in their Natick headquarters. Learn more at mathworks.com slash careers. The Bruins begin a three-game Western road trip tonight as they face the Colorado Avalanche. The Celtics are also on the road. They'll take on the Phoenix Suns. 
And in your forecast, it's going to be rainy today, showers throughout the day. It could get foggy this afternoon. The high will be in the mid-50s. The rain will end overnight. It'll be mostly cloudy and in the 40s. Then the sun comes out tomorrow, clear skies and in the 50s. Right now, it's 54 degrees in Boston at 8.07. WBUR supporters include Charles Schwab, dedicated to serving clients with 24-7 live support. The people at Schwab are committed to helping clients on their investing journey. Learn more at schwab.com. WBUR is fueled by the belief that independent journalism has a critical role in our lives, our communities, and our democracy. And we're fueled by the support listeners give because they want to make a meaningful difference. Now's the time to join them. I'm Lisa Mullins. Make your tax-deductible year-end contribution at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Thank you. Good morning. You're listening to Morning Edition on WBUR. We are in the last day of our last fundraiser of the year. We are behind. We need to come to you very seriously and say that we are behind and we need your help. We need you to give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. This is an urgent request. At WBUR, we replace the noise with facts, clarity, and meaningful content. We can't do that without you. We are mission-driven, not-for-profit, independent journalism that is supported with voluntary contributions from our listeners. Listeners are the biggest share of our support. That's why we're asking you for help today. We are working toward raising $800,000. We need to get there by the end of the day. Please give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Tiziana Deering here. Happy to be with you this morning, Rupa. Here in Studio 2, the stakes are high. I was at a bar on Saturday night watching the Big Ten Championship go blue, and another person there, we got to chatting, and he listens. Uh, And I said, thank you for listening. And he said, but I don't give. Should I give? The answer is yes, Mm -hmm. especially today, especially right now in a moment when we are behind and you are the largest source of our giving. We are dedicated to you. We appreciate you. We know you listen. You go online. You come to live events. Now is the moment to show that you understand how important the news, the information, the arts, the culture, the community that we bring you is to your life functioning and to our democracy functioning. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. If you've just gotten up, start the day outright. Get ready for your day by helping WBUR get ready for the next year. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. We need to meet our goal and we're asking you to give right now. We can't do this without your help. We're committed to bringing you stories that reveal important truths, stories that help you think harder. That is our goal every single day. We need you to act now to make sure we can continue bringing that to you. At WBUR.org, you can give or call 1-800-909-9287. Think about your part of the overall goal. How much can you give? Call now. Go to the website. We need your help. It's Layla Faldid from NPR's Morning Edition. The demonization of fact-based journalism is one of democracy's biggest threats. 
This aversion to truth has taken hold as the number of local newsrooms has dwindled, leaving reams of disinformation to fill the void. In public radio, we have a responsibility to counteract disinformation. This station is an oasis amid all the noise and fiction. Having a reporter at the school board meeting at City Hall, that is our resistance to the undermining of a free press. We resist by being there, by providing platforms for people to see themselves reflected and to see difference. We resist by building bridges and by holding people to account. We do it thanks to you. You give us the tools we need to fight attacks on truth by donating to this station. Here's how. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. If you are concerned about the spread of misinformation, if you want to do something about that, that's what you can do this morning. You can help WBUR. We are a responsible, fair news source that is consistently there for thousands of people in your community. We are depended on. Please give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Today is the day and now is the moment. The fundraiser ends tonight, whether we hit that number or not. We need to raise $800,000. We're not on track, but you can put us there. 1-800-909-9287 is the phone number. WBUR.org is the website. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Metro West Subaru where same-day and next-day service appointments are available. Service until 9 on Route 9 in Natick. And Merrimack Repertory Theater, presenting A Christmas Carol, a new adaptation highlighting Dickens' time in Lowell. Now through December 24th, MRT.org. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Rachel Martin. Good morning. The final race of the 2022 midterms is over. Incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock from Georgia has defeated his opponent, Republican Herschel Walker. The victory gives Democrats a crucial 51 to 49 advantage in the U.S. Senate and solidifies Georgia's status as a political battleground state. Georgia Public Broadcasting's Stephen Fowler joins us now to talk about the results and their consequences. Hey, Stephen. Good morning. So a whole lot of money went into this race and lots of national attention. Remind us how we got here. So Raphael Warnock won a special election in a runoff in January 2021 and has used that time in office so far to focus on legislation lowering health care costs. And he really hammered home this idea that he's a bipartisan moderate willing to do whatever it takes to help Georgians, even working across the aisle with Republicans in a time where that's not really uh, happening a lot. Here's a snippet of Warnock's victory speech. I am Georgia. I am, I am an example and an iteration of its history, of its pain and its promise of the brutality and the possibility now, Walker, on the other hand, spent most of his campaign dodging controversies about his past, including serious allegations of domestic violence, fabricating his past and personal achievements, and maybe most importantly, allegedly pressuring multiple ex-girlfriends to have abortions despite his public stance opposing abortion. And on the policy front, he really stuck to a far-right agenda that catered more to the GOP base than a diverse swing state. So how did Warnock pull this off? Well, a lot of people voted, and especially voted early in person. 
Democrats took full advantage of extra optional days of early voting offered in some of the larger counties, particularly the Saturday after Thanksgiving, which was only an option after Warnock's campaign actually sued the state to make it happen. There was actually more turnout than you would expect for an early December race in a runoff. About three and a half million people voted. But the difference is, across the board, Warnock lost Republican counties by a little bit less than November and won urban and suburban counties by a little more than he did in November. Walker also continued to underperform incumbent Governor Brian Kemp's November margins in Republican areas that were just turned off by his campaign. And remember, Georgia's an outlier by holding these types of runoffs when no candidate in a general election gets above 50 percent. Mm -hmm. So things were really unpredictable heading into Election Day from a turnout perspective. Yeah. So Democrats have not only retained control of the U.S. Senate, they actually have now picked up a seat. What does Warnock's victory mean for the next two years in Congress? Well, it's a big deal to Democrats. In some ways, it's even a bigger deal than those 2021 runoffs that got the Senate to 50-50. For starters, no more power sharing on committees, which has limited some of the action Democrats could take the last two years. It also somewhat neuters the impact of fellow Democratic Senators Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, moderates who sometimes served as roadblocks to President Biden's agenda. And Rachel, because it's always election season, especially here in Georgia, it gives Democrats one more seat for a 2024 election map that's a little bit tougher for them. That's also keeping Georgia at the forefront of battleground status for the White House, reflected in a proposed new Democratic presidential primary calendar, which puts Georgia among some of the early states to decide the party's nominee. Hmm. So at any rate, there's a lot more political and economic capital routing through the Peach State these next few years. You're going to be busy. A little job security for you, Stephen. Georgia Public Broadcasting, Stephen Fowler. Thank you. The war in Ukraine is spreading beyond its borders. Russia's defense ministry reported explosions at two air bases inside Russia, and Russia blames Ukrainian drones. Ukraine is not confirming if they're responsible. We've called Max Bergman, a former U.S. diplomat and expert on European and Russian security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Steve. Are you pretty confident that Ukraine really is responsible for these attacks? Yeah, I think this is, it's pretty clear that Ukraine uh, is responsible. There's been some um, uh, pretty, I think, maybe not direct statements by Ukrainian officials, but really hinting that of their involvement. And and this is all something we've also seen from Ukraine before. Uh, they have struck at uh, uh, Russian territory previously, but I think what makes us very different is the the depth at which they were able to reach uh, inside of Russia, uh, striking a base on the Volga River, which is uh, hundreds of miles from Ukraine. What exactly did the Ukrainians strike at that great distance and what is its relevance to this war? Well, this was uh, a strategic uh, uh, bomber air base uh, that Russia was using to strike Ukrainian territory. And it it. You know, this the significance of this is that Russia, uh, this is one of their most strategic bases. This is where they uh, perhaps can uh, have uh, nuclear weapons as well. And to be able to strike so deep into Russian territory really calls into question Russian air defense, Russia's security procedures. Uh, and it demonstrates to Russia that Ukraine uh, is, is has the ability to put them under threat and will, I think, significantly will cause some real issues uh, within the Russian military. Well, let me think this through, though. Traditionally, this would be a normal part of a war. You don't give the enemy a safe haven.
haven. Ukraine naturally would try to strike on the enemy's territory, the enemy's turf, if they can. But this is a nuclear armed power with thousands of nuclear weapons that presumably would take extreme offense to strikes on its own territory. Haven't the U.S. and its allies tried to discourage this very thing? Well, the U.S. has, and I think the U.S. has made clear that any weapons that we provide, that we don't want those to be used against Russian territory, which is why this is significant, that this is appears to be an organic uh, uh, weapon developed by the Ukrainians themselves uh, or, or retrofitted, essentially. Uh, and, and I think, you know, what it sort of demonstrates is that Russia's uh, nuclear blustering earlier in the conflict has proved rather hollow. There's been a number of uh, world leaders, in addition to Western leaders in India and China, that have also uh, uh, advocated or pushed uh, Moscow not to, to tone down the nuclear rhetoric. And that right now is the one way that Russia has to escalate this conflict, because it is it has escalated. It is striking uh, Ukrainian civilian infrastructure uh, repeatedly and constantly. Uh, so Russia's ability to escalate would, I think, uh, would be nuclear. And I don't think there's, I think that would have tremendous costs for Russia, both internationally and I think domestically within its own public. I don't think there's domestic support within Russia to to go to such an extreme step. I think you're telling me you're not terrified about a Russian nuclear strike. The possibility is out there, but you don't think it's really, they would see it in their interest yet. No, I, I think that's right. And I think what we've seen is that this isn't the first time that Ukraine has struck Russian territory, which didn't elicit a nuclear response. Uh, and we have to remember, what is Ukraine targeting? They're targeting uh, military target, unlike Russia, which is targeting uh, civilian infrastructure. So I think this is uh, very much in bounds of what we would consider, you know, uh, uh, maybe not rules of, of the game, but uh, I, of a, a degree of, well, this is what an adversary is going to do in response to uh, them being pummeled by, by missiles. I think you mentioned larger potential effects on Russia's military. Is there some broader strategic effect that it would affect the morale or the approach or the thinking of Russia's military here? Yeah, I think I think Russia will have to examine its air defenses. Has it moved most of its air defenses into Ukraine? Uh, does it need to create more depth? Does it need to uh, shift how its forces are arrayed to prevent um, to prevent th their destruction should there be an attack. And it will also simply uh, uh, be really uncomfortable for a lot of senior military officials uh, inside the Kremlin that will be called to account. How could this happen? How could you allow this uh, to occur? So I think it will add to sort of the infighting. Max Bergman of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, thanks for your insights. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Okay, we're nearly a week into December, which means many of us are working our way through Advent calendars. Oh, yeah, you open a little door on a cardboard panel every day for the 24 days before Christmas, and behind each door is a treat, traditionally a little chocolate. But these days, Advent calendars are going far beyond chocolate. Oh, yeah, beef jerky. Beef jerky! Or socks. Even beard oil. They're everywhere. They're just everywhere. Everything's an Advent calendar now. You're so excited about the beef jerky. <laughs> Marcia Mogolonsky is an expert on consumer behavior at the market research firm Mintel. It's a great way to sell stuff, especially little samples of stuff. For example, beef jerky. She says getting those little samples to customers is important to companies right now. It's especially difficult to sell new products when the economy is not the best in the world because you're reluctant to spend 
a big amount of money on something you might not like. Brands hope their advent calendars get customers buying more, whether it's beer or art supplies or makeup. So if you like it after Christmas, you can go buy the big thing that came with the little thing, like the whole makeup kit that came with the one lipstick. Some of these advent calendars are getting wild. There is a luxury calendar by British jewelers CW Sellers that costs $23,000. Despite how absolutely out of control that sounds, Marcia Moglonski says advent calendars are actually a great way to give gifts. We all need the gift of time. And this is a way of slowing us down. So it kind of prolongs the experience as the original advent calendar concept was when it was developed in the late 19th century. It was a way of marking the days till Christmas. In fact, Mogolonsky thinks advent calendars do not have to be just for Christmas anymore. A countdown to your birthday, a countdown to your kid's graduation. Instead of one big gift, draw it out. Slow time down a bit by counting the days till this happens. So I'm getting Steve an advent calendar of beef jerky, and I would like one with tiny statues of woodland fairies. This is NPR News. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Brookline Bank, where financial solutions are crafted to the needs of your business and delivered with a hands-on approach committed to your success. Learn more at brooklinebank.com. And the MBTA, helping tens of thousands of people reach their destinations every day. The MBTA is hiring across multiple departments. The T offers competitive salaries, solid benefits, and established paths for growth. For more information and to apply today, visit mbta.com careers. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy here with Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering on this, our last day of our last fundraiser of the year. We're in the home stretch. We're trying to raise $800,000 and we're telling you very bluntly that we are not where we need to be. We are considerably behind. So we are asking you to stop this morning and think about how much you value WBUR, how much you value the local journalism, the national stories, and the updates on international situations. That makes When that comes to you every morning, we are educated. We are responsible citizens. We know what we want to do with our community and for everyone in our community. So please give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Okay, listen, I confess I am totally here for Steve Inskeep's fascination with beef jerky advent (laughs) calendars. Those little bits of joy really matter. And yet the stakes are also very high. Right. So much serious news coming from NPR and WBUR this morning. Existential level stuff about our democracy, about elections, mm-hmm. about the law, uh, about whether states have control of federal elections or right. uh, the federal government does. It, we can bring you the joy. But we bring you the stuff you have to have in order to function as a citizen in this democracy. We know you value it because you're listening. We know you care. We are behind. Now is the moment. Mm. Not everyone can give, but if you can, now is the moment. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org to support this democracy. 
This is Laura Dern. If there is a world on the other side of a wall somewhere where artists run free and journalists share a point of view to educate us into alternative opinion and voice, and it's used beautifully, and there's opera and Sesame Street and National Public Radio, I want to be on that side of the wall. So thank you, National Public Radio. I pray that you're supported forever. We need you. It's how I get my news. It's how I get to know about human behavior. It's how I, thanks to people like Terry Gross, learn about film and invention, and I care deeply about it. And I never, ever want anyone to feel anxiety about losing voice in our uh, beautiful democracy. And we're at that point right now. We've been at that point for some years now. And we are all doing what we can to be better citizens. If you care about that, if you want to take action and make sure that we stay on the right path with our democracy, this is how you do it, by supporting WBUR. Because we go out, we get the stories that no one else brings you, and we tell them to you in a way that you want to hear every morning. We are there for you with the war in Ukraine, the latest in the war in Ukraine, whether it's now strikes in Russia, or if it's uh, the the latest on the lobster fish industry, whatever it is, these are intense stories, and we can't tell them without your help. You are the backbone of WBUR's funding. So please, if you can, give $10, 20 or $30 a month. If you haven't already given this fundraiser, we need you to step up and be responsible for your community. It will feel good to make sure that this pillar of your community remains secure. So please go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. You know, we are a family and a community at WBUR.org. I got an email from my sister this morning showing me her gift, a text from a great supporter of WBUR this morning talking about his experience calling in to give uh, today. Join that part of the WBUR community. You're already part of the listening community. Now join our family who gives and supports to make sure that what you love and you know you can't get it anywhere but public media, public radio, make sure what you love is here tomorrow, the next day, next year, and the year after for you and for the entire community. One of our listeners who gave this time said, public radio is my go-to source for everything that matters in my life. Went on to say, I need you to be here for us every day. Yes, that's right. We're close to the end of this fundraiser. It ends tonight, whether we hit the mark or not, we're behind. Thank you if you've called or gone online, but if you haven't, I'm talking to you and I'm asking you, please do it right now before you go on to the next thing. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Focus Features presenting Spoiler Alert, starring Jim Parsons, Ben Aldridge, and Sally Field. Based on the memoir, his life story became a love story. Directed by Michael Showalter. In select theaters, everywhere Friday. And from Athena Health, creating connected healthcare technology designed to improve patient outcomes and increase efficiency of healthcare practices and organizations. Learn more at athenahealth.com. And from Paychex, the Paychex team of professionals and compliance specialists 
work to help businesses automate all HR functions into one platform so that they can instead focus on their business and their employees. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Democrats are celebrating Raphael Warnock's victory in Georgia's Senate runoff. The Democratic incumbent defeated Republican Herschel Walker, giving Senate Democrats an outright majority in the next Congress. Stephen Fowler with Georgia Public Broadcasting reports. Warnock's pitch as a bipartisan problem solver excited his party's base and wooed enough suburban moderates to emerge victorious. Ultimately, voters thought Walker's emphasis on far-right culture war issues was wrong for the state and now gives Democrats outright control of the Senate, 51 seats to 49. A federal judge is dismissing a lawsuit filed against Saudi Arabia's crown prince. It stemmed from the slaying of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. NPR's Giles Snyder says the judge cites the Biden administration's determination that Mohammed bin Salman has immunity from the jurisdiction of U.S. courts. U.S. District Judge John Bates wrote a 25-page ruling acknowledging what he called the credible allegations of the Crown Prince's involvement in Jamal Khashoggi's killing in 2018. But he cites a Biden administration's determination that, as a head of state, MBS, as the prince is known, has immunity. The civil rights organization Khashoggi founded says MBS has only been a head of state since September, when he was appointed prime minister. Dow futures are down 51 points. This is NPR News from Washington. From WBOR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shinoy. The Great Salt Marsh on the Massachusetts-New Hampshire border is getting $4 million in restoration grants. The money is part of more than $136 million in coastal reliance funds handed out yesterday by the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. WBOR's Barbara Moran reports. Nancy Pow is a wildlife biologist at the Parker River National Wildlife Refuge. She and her colleagues have been working for years to nurse the sickly parts of the Great Marsh back to health. They've had some success by removing colonial-era dams and ditches to restore the natural tidal flow. Now that we figure out how to do it, we are now scaling up. So between this grant and previous grants, we will be able to restore over 6,000 acres. Pow says the restored salt marsh will provide critical wildlife habitat and protect coastal towns from flooding. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Barbara Moran. The teachers union in Medford will sit down with city leaders today for another round of contract negotiations. The Medford Teachers Association issued a vote of no confidence this week in the mayor and the school committee. The union says that's because months of talks have yielded no results in reaching a new contract. Despite that, Union President Charlene Douglas says she believes the sides can reach a deal that works for everyone. We definitely want to go back to negotiations. We definitely want to have an agreement. We've been doing this for a year and a half, and we're not giving up. Douglas says a tentative deal was reached on a contract in October, but union members ultimately voted it down. The Cambridge City Council is exploring the possibility of regulating how so-called crisis pregnancy centers present their services. The council's ordinance committee voted unanimously yesterday to advance a proposal to ban deceptive marketing by the facilities. Critics of crisis pregnancy centers say they present themselves as providing pregnancy-related services, but they often try to persuade women from getting an abortion. City Councilor and Vice Mayor Alana Mullen says the city 
is not implementing an outright ban on the centers, but she had this message for them. If you do want to open up shop here in Cambridge and participate in deceptive practices, you will be paying a fine and there will be injunctive relief that will be sought. Supporters of the centers say they do critical work in Massachusetts communities. It's 835. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's The Nutcracker. Beloved characters return to delight all ages this holiday season. On stage through December 31st, tickets at bostonballet.org. The Celtics begin a week-long western swing tonight as they visit the Phoenix Suns. The Bruins are also on the road to skate with the Colorado Avalanche. The Red Sox will get the 14th overall pick in next year's Major League Draft, and they did not improve their position in yesterday's first-ever baseball draft lottery. Pittsburgh won the first pick. Rainy and windy today with some patchy fog, and in the mid-50s, we may see thunderstorms tonight. Temperatures will fall to the 40s. Tomorrow, sunny and in the low 50s. Right now, it's 53 degrees in Boston at 835. Support for NPR comes from this station and from BetterHelp, connecting people with a therapist online for issues like depression and relationships. 25,000 therapists are available through BetterHelp using a computer or smartphone betterhelp.com slash public. And from Fidelity Wealth Management, working to help investors keep more of what they earn with tax-efficient strategies. At fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Rachel Martin. Good morning. The White House today is hosting a roundtable on anti-Semitism in this country. The husband of Vice President Kamala Harris, Doug Emhoff, will lead a discussion with Jewish leaders. Emhoff is expected to say there is a, quote, epidemic of hate facing this country. This event is happening after all the anti-Semitic remarks by Trump ally Kanye West and that dinner that Donald Trump had with Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes. NPR White House correspondent Franco Ordonez is covering the efforts by the White House today. Hey, Franco. Hey, Rachel. So the Biden administration clearly feeling like it needs to elevate the conversation about hate speech in this country right now. Yeah. And and that's because there's been a surge in anti-Jewish comments being made by prominent people. It's not just Kanye West and Trump, but basketball star Kyrie Irving was temporarily suspended after posting about a documentary promoting anti-Semitism. He later apologized. Now, Jonathan Greenblatt is the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, which tracks anti-Semitism. He says a big problem is that people with power and with platforms are normalizing this kind of talk. We have celebrities repeating anti-Semitic tropes. We have the former president breaking bread with bigots, including white supremacists. We have athletes normalizing Holocaust denialism. And he says that they've tracked more anti-Jewish harassment and attacks last year than they have in any year since the 1970s. So they're going to hold this roundtable at the White House, and they have tapped the vice president's husband, Doug Emhoff, to do this, huh? Yeah, this will be the first kind of high-profile policy issue that he's delving into, that he's leading. He's the first Jewish person in that position, and he's becoming more outspoken on the issue. You know, according to more of those early excerpts, he will also say that there are no two sides to this issue and that it really must be condemned. So sometimes Democratic politicians raise concerns about giving extremists more oxygen when when we pay attention to their views. Clearly, the White House thinks they can't just ignore the rise in anti-Semitism, though. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And I did have the same question about concerns about fueling extremism. I was repeatedly told no, though, that silence is a greater problem. Ian Russell is a veteran democratic strategist. He says that basically that's a way of thinking from a time before social media allowed extremists to emerge from the fringes of society and for politicians to be able to use that to their advantage. That is a view from an earlier time, a pre-Trump time, where there was a unspoken tacit understanding between the two major parties. There were some things you just didn't say, some dog whistles you didn't send. And, and some things we just kept out of mainstream political dialogue in the United States. But he says it's too late now, and that unfortunately this type of talk is now part of the mainstream dialogue. And he says the White House is right to call it out. Are Republicans going to be at this roundtable? I mean, they've been uncomfortable with this, but also very careful not to attack Trump directly. Yeah, it's been kind of a high wire act for some, especially those considering runs for president in 2024. You know, or those being afraid of being primaried. You know, they don't want to alienate Trump's supporters, but you have heard from some, including former Vice President Pence, who called on Trump to apologize for dining with Nick Fuentes. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that anyone who meets with white supremacists is unlikely to be elected president of the United States. But I will just add that a number of Republicans, including some of McConnell's allies, did sign on to a bipartisan letter sent to President Biden calling on him to develop a national strategy against anti-Semitism. NPR White House correspondent Franco Ordonez. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. China is changing its approach to COVID-19. The country seems to be abandoning a policy of zero COVID infections. That policy led to widespread travel restrictions and lockdowns. Now, economic stagnation and all those public protests are forcing leaders to say they will change course. China's new policy could mean additional freedoms. David Rennie is the Beijing bureau chief for The Economist. David, welcome back. Hello. What's really changing here? Well, you're right to mention the economic pain of this policy and the public anger, which we've seen take the shape of not just protests, but also just generally an entire population that's fed up. But the final piece of the puzzle is the virus is mutated to become so contagious that Omicron variant that has been rampaging around the world all year is just so easy to catch that China's incredibly ambitious zero COVID policy is not keeping up. And so that the brutal truth is the Communist Party has spent nearly three years saying it's declared an all out people's war on a virus and the virus is winning. Oh, this is uh, a powerful insight I think you're giving us, David. I had thought that this was a response to the declining economy in China or a response to public protest. And you're saying that China is being forced to abandon zero COVID because it just isn't working. The virus is spreading too much anyway. It's all linked. Why are people so angry? Why are people so fed up after nearly three years of tolerating the kind of controls I think Americans or, or Brits would never tolerate? It's because it's not working. They can see that the case numbers have been soaring because it's just so easy to catch Omicron. And they're also becoming aware that the outside world seems to be living with this virus. Uh, and, you know, they can see crowds at the World Cup not wearing masks. They're, they're realizing that China isn't like anywhere else. And it's bankrupting businesses. It's killing the kind of, you know, any number of economic sectors. And so that combination of pain that isn't working, the balance seems to just shifted. And now at incredible speed, this incredibly strict system is falling apart in a very chaotic, frankly, unplanned way. Although just months ago, Chinese officials were saying this policy is saving millions of lives. Think about how many people are in China. It's saving millions of lives. What happens now as restrictions are lifted? 
I mean, they've been saying that till almost a week ago. It was all about how China had saved lives and countries like America had so many dead. So now we're seeing the central government saying things like, you know, mass testing is no longer needed. So basically, you're not going to find the cases that you were previously always quarantining. So that part of the system is falling apart. We can expect other cities, perhaps poorer cities with weak hospitals, to resist and to say, actually, we don't have so many cases. We're terrified that this is going to overwhelm our health system. I think we could see a return to what we've seen before during this pandemic of roadblocks, you know, provincial borders, suddenly police not letting people across. Beijing, where I am, is kind of chaos. They're saying that we don't need health codes to go into shops, uh, shopping malls, but you do to go to schools or to hospitals, but there's nowhere to get a COVID test anymore because they've been hauling away all the testing booths on the back of trucks. And so people don't know how to get the test to get the kids to school. When you say health codes, this is this is something on your phone that shows that you're vaccinated or that you've been tested or whatever. And now you're saying it's hard to know if you need that and hard to get verified anyway. Exactly. Are travel restrictions going to be lifted in just a few seconds? Is it going to be easier to get in and out of China? Uh, in and out is a mystery between provinces seems to be getting easier. But the fear is this is the winter. They haven't vaccinated enough people. And if the case numbers really soar, they could be forced to start locking down again. David Rennie of The Economist, thanks so much. Thank you. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Holiday Pops, helping you prepare for the most wonderful time of year by unwrapping the magic of the Holiday Pops now through December 24th, holidaypops.org. You're listening to Morning Edition. I'm Rupa Shanoi, host of Morning Edition, here with Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering. We're in the last day of our year-end fundraiser, and we're asking you for help. There is a dollar-for-dollar dollar match that begins right now and ends at 9 o'clock. Some members of our Murrow Society gave their money to double your support. It's an incentive for you to get involved in this fundraiser and help us catch up to our goal because we are considerably behind where we need to be before the fundraiser ends tonight. We need you to step up and give to keep WBUR going. This is a great chance for you to help. Whatever you give will be doubled. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. One of the listeners who gave during this fundraiser wrote to us in part, my donation is a small way of saying thank you to WBUR and NPR for giving us the independent journalism we rely upon. I only wish I could do more for WBUR NPR. Thank you to that listener. You can do more right now because when you give in the next 14 minutes, your money is doubled. Whatever you can do becomes twice for the moment, twice for the news and information you rely on. And the stakes are high. They're not only high because we are significantly behind. And this fundraiser ends tonight, whether we hit our $800,000 mark or not. The stakes are also high because this is a moment where I think if you just take one second and think about it, you'll realize how much you are relying on undramatic quality news and information that you know you can trust as you start your day, operate your day, and finish your day. So do it now. 
14 minutes left to get your money matched dollar for dollar. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. The Morning Edition team is here every morning when it's still dark, long before it's light, and thinking about these values, thinking about fact-checking, thinking about what you need to know. We get all of that ready, so all you have to do is wake up and go to WBUR.org or go to the WBUR app or turn it on the radio, and you hear incredible reporting, local reporting, as well as a great, you just heard a great example of international reporting, the implication of China dropping its zero COVID policy. NPR is committed to covering these international stories as they unfold. And they're going to maintain this level of reporting for the foreseeable future. And it is absolutely directly impactful to our country and what's happening here. We know you want to know every step in this process, every step in the story. But we can't make this investment without your monthly contribution. And when you give right now, it is doubled. So just like Tiziana said, if you have wished you could do more for WBUR. You can. Yes, you can. Right now, if you give in the next 13 minutes, go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Pretty much down to 12 minutes now, $100 becomes $200. $1,000 becomes $2,000. $500 becomes $1,000. If you can do $10, $20, $30 a month, it's incredibly powerful for us, but only for the next 12 minutes. A group of our Murrow Society members know they know how important it is that WBUR continue to bring you not only the joy, the fun, the mm-hmm. Stevens keeps fascination with meat sticks <laughs> in Advent calendars, but also Ukraine, where uh, Volodymyr Zelensky was just named Person of the Year by Time magazine. Mm-hmm. And um, Mayor Wu in the transition meeting yesterday with uh, Governor-elect Morahili. It's all important. We bring it all to you. one 800 909 9287wbur.org. We are behind. The fundraiser will end tonight regardless. But if you give in the next 11 and a little more minutes, your money will be doubled. If you want to help WBUR, this is the time to do it. In these next 12, 10 minutes, we need you to step up. Again, 100 becomes 200, 500 becomes 1,000, 1,000 becomes 2,000. Do all you can to keep this important public service on the radio, online, on the app, on your phone, so everyone can continue being a responsible, educated member of their society and making the best decisions for it. That's what this is every single morning, and it doesn't continue without your help. Act now to have your contribution doubled. This Whatever match it is, ends is at twice. 9 a.m. Yes, it ends at 9. Thank you, Tiziana. You're right, I should say that. It ends in 10 minutes. So please go to WBUR.org or call one 800 9 Again, WBUR.org, 800-909-9287. Do it now, please. And thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Fidelity Investments, reminding you it's never too early to start saving for your child's future. Learn more about a tax-advantaged 529 college savings account and how you can use the money to pay for qualified expenses at fidelity.com slash ufund. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSC SIPC. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Rachel Martin. About 50,000 tech workers lost their jobs last month as Meta, Amazon, Twitter, and others laid off parts of their workforce. Losing a job is always devastating, but for many immigrant workers, their ability to stay in the U.S. is now on a pretty brutal ticking tock. 
NPR's Stacey Vanek-Smith reports. Back in March of 2020, Aditya Taude was working at a tech company near Boston. Things were going well. He'd just gotten a promotion. But COVID and lockdown hit his employer hard. The office was closed down. The company called a virtual all-staff meeting, and Taude had a bad feeling. Almost immediately, the CEO confirmed his worst fears. Saying that they are taking a decision to let people go, and the people who are being let go will get an email within the next hour. Taude was in his living room, glued to his computer, refreshing his email again and again. And then, all of a sudden, there it was. The email. I don't remember the subject line, but it just started that uh, if you're getting this email, that means you're one of the thousand employees who are being let go, and these are the next steps you need to take. What did you do when you read that? Uh, I, I had a very shaky voice when I told this to my wife. I then went to the bathroom and I cried. Taude and his wife are from India. They had been in the U.S. for five years. Their life was here. But Taude was in the U.S. on an H-1B, or skilled worker visa. Tech companies use these visas a lot to find workers they say they cannot find in the U.S. The H-1B visa ties a worker to a particular job. And if they lose that job, a countdown clock starts. Taude got his emotions together and immediately started making a plan. Let me take out this emotion and then think of it strategically, like this is happening. So I have two months. Two months. People who lose their job on an H-1B visa have 60 days to lock down a new job before they have to leave the country. Right now, thousands of H-1B visa holders are facing this same ticking clock. Joshua Browder is the CEO of Do Not Pay, an AI-based legal services startup. He says it's always been such a struggle to find talent. He's had to pay recruiters to find people. So after he heard the news about Meta's thousands of layoffs, he sent out a quick note on Twitter. If you have recently been laid off and hold an H-1B visa, we would love to chat with you at Do Not Pay. 25% of our team are not U.S. citizens, and we can move quickly. Router thought, maybe I'll get a few really top people who've been laid off. Kind of a win-win. We've had hundreds of people reach out. Some of the best designers, engineers with amazing portfolios reached out. And it's very surprising that they were laid off. Browder is an immigrant himself and says H-1B workers are in a really tough spot. There is a flood of tech workers on the market right now and a lot of hiring freezes. Also, many places will hire a U.S. citizen over an H-1B worker. It's cheaper, less paperwork. Aditya Taude was up against this himself when he was laid off back in 2020. He started applying to every possible job, obsessing over every question in every interview. There was a lot of overthinking, I think, at that point, because I was like, I need to answer all the questions correctly. What if I answer one question incorrectly and that is what decides my future in the States? Taude was applying around the clock. Sometimes he would do five interviews in one day. First round, second round, it was a blur. Until one day, he got a job offer on email. What? How did you feel when you saw that email? <laughs> I, I think I, I was bursting in tears of laughter. It was like one, one email changed my life. Then this other one has changed my trajectory again. Taude got the job with just 15 days to spare. Now he's trying to help H-1B holders who are in the same situation he was in two years ago, trying desperately to find a job with the clock ticking. Stacey Bannock-Smith, NPR News. 
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Uncommon Feasts. Catering diplomatic receptions, corporate celebrations, milestone events, and public galas in Boston, the North Shore, and Midcoast, Maine. Artisanal cuisine and a focus on logistics. UncommonFeasts.com. Gather around. Let's feast. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Tiziana Deering, host of Radio Boston. And these last few minutes of Morning Edition, we need Morning Edition listeners to step up because we are in the last day of our last fundraiser of the year, and there is a match on the table. We have five minutes to take advantage of it. Whatever you give will be doubled. Some members of our Murrow Society have given their money to incentivize you to give because that is what we need to keep WBUR going. Get involved in this fundraiser. Help us catch up to our goal. We need you to step up and give to keep WBUR going. We are considerably behind, and this is a great chance for you to help. Please give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Just a little less than five minutes left to take advantage of this match, make a contribution to WBUR, help us close the gap in the fundraiser that ends tonight, whether we hit the $800,000 mark or don't. That's roughly the same amount of money we raised last year, we're not overshooting here. This is what we need mm-hmm. to bring you the news and the information that you rely on. $1,000 becomes $2,000. $5,000 becomes ten. dollars $100 becomes $200. And $10 becomes 20 And all of it, every single piece of that matters for us in this moment. With four and a half minutes left, the number is 1-800-909-9287. And the website is WBUR.org. Facts matter. Values matter. And we're in a time when we need to step up and show that we believe in those facts and values, whether people listen on the radio, on the WBUR app, on the WBUR.org, or to a podcast or read our newsletters. We wrestle with the questions that directly impact our community. And we make sure that you and your community continue to have a source of complete, unbiased information upon which you can make the most important decisions that are there for you and your community. That's what WBUR is about. We are a public service that is free for everyone who needs it. But to do that, we need your support. The math, again, is $100 becomes $200. $500 becomes $1,000. $1,000 becomes $2,000. Just for the next three minutes, we need you to go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 to take advantage of this match and get WBUR where it needs to be because we are considerably behind in this, our last fundraiser of the year. Again, it's WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. We are running out of time. Uh, Three minutes left for the match. End of day today for this entire fundraiser, whether we get there or not. Now is an incredible time to double your money. Put more power behind the power that you know WBUR brings you with the news and information you rely on. One of the listeners who gave in this fundraiser says... Uh, you present information without silly shticks, grating voices, or goofing around in between the essential news I need to make solid decisions as a U.S. citizen. It goes on to say, WBUR gives me some measure of peace as I keep track of and on top of the responsibilities and realities I face every day. Thank you. 
Thank you to that listener. Thank you for telling us what we mean to you. You who are listening right now know we matter in your life. You wouldn't be listening. Mm -hmm. You go online. You go on air. You listen to our podcasts. You read our newsletters. You go to our City Space events because we matter in your life. Show us. There's two minutes left to get double your money. 1-800-909-9287. I'm asking you to do it now. WBUR.org. Two minutes left. We need you to get up and go to the go to your computer, go to your phone, and make a donation. Local journalism has been in danger of dying for many years. You have made sure that we survive here in Boston. We are an important resource for your community. WBUR has one of the strongest local newsrooms in the country. This is our last fundraiser of the year. We need to finish with the amount of money we need to keep bringing you everything we bring you next year. So our community needs you to step up right now. We need your financial support. Whatever you give right now will be doubled. For the next minute, it will be doubled. Your power to help WBUR will be doubled. So it's now or never. This is the last call. This is your last chance. Go to your phone. Go to your computer. Give that number, Rupa. (laughs) 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Show your commitment to your community and to what you get from WBUR. Just under a minute left. We can do this together. We appreciate you so much. In this moment, if you have not given yet, we are asking you, I am asking you to do it now. 45 seconds to get your money doubled. 100 becomes 200. $10 becomes 20. 5,000 becomes 10,000. Whatever you can do makes a tremendous difference to us. We spend all day thinking about you. We spend all day serving you. We are asking you to take 30 seconds to support us. The phone number is 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. We are behind. We need you. Think about the future of your community for years to come. This is when you can act to shore it up and give it what it needs. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Merrimack College, offering online and on-campus master's in education programs and licensures for teachers. Learn more at online.merrimack.edu. I'm here and now host Scott Tong, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR. Boston's NPR News Station.